Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday, January 24th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a podcast that is dedicated to prayer, to devotion, to scripture reading, and to Bible study. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there, over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all covered from a biblical worldview. My brothers and sisters in Christ over there doing a wonderful, wonderful job for the kingdom. I would encourage you to go over there. I will guarantee you, you're going to find something over there to listen to. And there's a real good chance you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right. Well, we've hit the middle of the week. Um, like we usually do, we're going to do our Bible reading this morning with some prayer and devotion. And then for the evening segment, we're going to do more prayer and devotion. And we're going to continue on in our Bible study in the Gospel of John, in John 17. So we're going to go ahead and open up this morning with the fourth day morning prayer called True Christianity. Let's pray. Lord of heaven, thy goodness is inexpressible and inconceivable. In the works of creation, thou art almighty. In the dispensations of providence, all wise. In the gospel of grace, all love, and in thy Son thou hast provided for our deliverance from the effects of sin, the justification of our persons, the sanctification of our natures, the perseverance of our souls in the path of life. Though exposed to the terrors of thy law, we have a refuge from the storm. Though compelled to cry unclean, we have a fountain for sin. Though creature cells of emptiness, we have a fullness accessible to all and incapable of reduction. Grant us always to know that to walk with Jesus makes other interests a shadow and a dream. Keep us from intermittent attention to eternal things. Save us from the delusion of those who will, who fail to go far in religion, who are concerned but not converted, who have another heart but not a new one, who have light, zeal, confidence but not Christ. Let us judge our Christianity not only by our dependence upon Jesus, but by our love to him, our conformity to him, our knowledge of him. Give us a religion that is both real and progressive, that holds on its way and grows stronger, that lives and works in the Spirit, that profits by every correction and is injured by no carnal indulgence. Amen. All right. And the, let's see, the morning devotion for January 24th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is from Psalm 91.3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. God delivers his people from the snare of the fowler in two senses, from and out of. First, he delivers them from the snare, does not let them enter it, and secondly, if they should be caught therein, he delivers them out of it. The first promise is the most precious to some, the second is the best to others. He shall deliver thee from the snare. How? Trouble is often the means whereby God delivers us. God knows that our backsliding will soon end in our destruction, and he in mercy sends the rod. We say, Lord, why is this? Not knowing that our trouble has been the means of delivering us from far away. I'm sorry, delivering us from far, far greater evil. Many have been thus saved from ruin by their sorrows and their crosses. These have frightened the birds from the net. At other times, God keeps his people from the snare of the fowler by giving them great spiritual strength, so that when they are tempted to do evil, they say, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But what a blessed thing it is that if the believer shall, in an evil hour, come into the net, yet God will bring him out of it. O oh, backslider, 
be cast down, but do not despair. Wanderer though, wanderer though thou hast been, hear what thy Redeemer said. Return, O backsliding children, I will have mercy upon you. But you say you cannot return, for you are a captive. Then listen to the promise. Surely he shall deliver thee out of the snare of the fowler. Thou shalt yet be brought out of all evil into which thou hast fallen, and though thou shalt never cease to repent of thy ways, yet he that hath loved thee will not cast thee away. He will receive thee and give thee joy and gladness, that the bones which he has broken may rejoice. No bird of paradise shall die in the fowler's net. All right, and our reading for today, we're going to be reading Genesis 48 and 49, Matthew 15, verse 23, or 29, excuse me, through Matthew 16, verse 12, Psalm 20, and Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 27, which is the end of that, the end of that chapter. So Genesis 48, hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened after these things that Joseph, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. Then it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. So Israel strengthened himself and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply, and I will make you an assembly of peoples, and I will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. So now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your kin that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers and their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons, whom God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Then Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your seed as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands through, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my father, Ab fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd throughout my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these boys, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. But Joseph saw that his father set his right hand on Ephraim's head, and it was displeasing in his sight, so he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a, become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become the fullness of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, 
By you, Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. And I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Genesis 49 Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what will befall you in the last days. Assemble together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my vigor. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in strength. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they killed men, and in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is strong, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them amongst Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Judah, as for you, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lioness he who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dark from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore, and he shall be a shore for ships, and his flank shall be toward Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the sheepfolds, and he saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens, and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall render justice to his people, as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path, that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider falls backward. For your salvation I hope, O Yahweh. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe let loose, he gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. Its branches run over a wall, and the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him, and they bore a grudge against him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your fathers who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath. Blessings of the beasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph, and on the top of the head of the one distinguishing among, distinguished excuse me, among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them. So he blessed them. He blessed them every one with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, 
which is below Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought, bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. So Jacob finished commanding his sons, and he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. All right. Uh, sorry. Matthew, let's see, Matthew 15, starting in verse 29. And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, and having gone up on the mountain, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the crowd, because they have remained with me now three days, and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and kept giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children. And sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. Matthew 16, verse 12 verses. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seeks for a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And coming to the other side of the sea, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Psalm 20 For the choir director, a psalm of David. May Yahweh answer you in the day of distress. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and uphold you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven, with the saving might of his right hand. 
Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Yahweh, may the king answer us in the day we call. Finally, Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. My son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them deviate from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all his flesh. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a perverse mouth and put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead and even let your eyelids be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the track of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. All right, well, that is our reading for today. I thank you for spending this time with me. Um, I continue, like I continue to say, I pray that this time together helps us all to be more saturated in the Word of God. I hope you have yourself a wonderful day. I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. All right. And we're going to close out with prayer, of course, from Valley of Vision. This one is called Praise and Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Oh, my God, thou fairest, greatest, first of all objects. My heart admires, adores, loves thee. For my little vessel is as full as it can be, and I would pour out all that fullness before thee in ceaseless flow. When I think upon and converse with thee, ten thousand delightful thoughts spring up. Ten thousand sources of pleasure are unsealed. Ten thousand refreshing joys spread over my heart, crowding into every moment of happiness. I bless thee for the soul thou hast created, for adorning it, sanctifying it, though it is fixed in barren soil, for the body thou hast given me, for preserving its strength and vigor, for providing senses to enjoy delights, for the ease and freedom of my limbs, for hands, eyes, ears that do thy bidding, for thy royal bounty providing my daily support, for a full table and overflowing cup, for appetite, taste, sweetness, for social joys of relatives and friends, for ability to serve others, for a heart that feels sorrow and necessities, and necessities, for a mind to care for my fellow men, for opportunities of spreading happiness around, for loved ones in the joys of heaven, for my own expectation of seeing thee clearly. I love thee above the powers of language to express, for what thou art to thy creatures. Increase my love, O my God, through time and eternity. Amen. All right. Well, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a great day. God bless. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Wednesday, January 24th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be getting into our study of John 17, getting back into it. Uh, but let's go ahead and open up with prayer like we usually do. As we've been doing, we're opening up with a prayer from At the Throne of Grace, a collection of prayers by John MacArthur um, that was collected by his children. Let's see. Okay, here we go. So the one we're doing for today is knowing for sure that our joy is true joy. And the text for it is from Psalm 95 verses 1 through 11. 
O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For forty years I loathed that generation, and said they are a people who err in their heart. And they do not know my ways. Therefore I swore in my anger, truly they shall not enter into my rest. Let's pray. Our Father, we offer praise to you with this psalm which begins with a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation, but ends with a somber warning. The inspired psalmist moves, f moves from the joy of salvation, the love of thanksgiving, and the singing of praise, all celebrated, all celebrating the greatness of your saving glory, to a threat of everlasting judgment, the forfeiture of eternal rest for those who stubbornly hardened their hearts against you. May we never be like those with Moses in the wilderness who complained and put you to the test, even after they saw your glory in an unparalleled display. Your word shows us such a stark contrast between those who come to you in faith and those who refuse. For the faithful there will be permanent joy, hope, and blessing. For the faithless there is nothing to look forward to but hopelessness, judgment, and everlasting punishment. Hold us by your grace that we may be counted with the faithful. We thank you for your precious grace in saving us, Lord. You are both the source and the object of our highest joy. We sing out to you because our hearts cannot contain the gladness of salvation, and in exalting you we are lifted even higher. You are our light and our salvation, the stronghold and sanctuary in whom we find refuge. You refresh our souls daily with joys. We can neither fathom nor fully count. We confess, however, with deep sadness that we are rebellious by nature, so we do not always serve you as we should. We want to bask in the fullness of your joy and find our deepest delight in the sunshine of your glory. Yet we are prone to wander. We are too easily tempted. We are weak and worldly and wrong-hearted creatures, great debtors to your mercy and in desperate need of your grace. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive. We are prompted from hearts transformed at our salvation to run to you and embrace you with glad surrender. Help us, Lord, to be earnest and honest in self-examination. And in that exercise, may your spirit testify together with our spirit that we are true children of our heavenly Father, born again to a living hope. Grant us grace that the fruit of regeneration will flourish and multiply in our lives. May our tears be tears of true repentance. May our hope be grounded solely in your word. May our works be energized by love. And may our faith endure to the end of time. We rest in the promise that none could ever, could ever snatch us out of your mighty hand. May we feel the firmness of your grip on us. And may we reflect the passion of your love. We ask these things humbly in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. I'm going to put my bookmark back in here. 
and our devotion from Glorifying God by Thomas Watson. And let's see, for January 24th. Okay, the title of this one is Advocating Truth Brings, Brings Glory to God. And the text is from Jude 3. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. We glorify God by standing up for his truths. Much of God's glory lies in his truth. God has entrusted us with his truth as a master entrusts his servant with his checkbook. We have no richer jewel to trust God with than our souls, nor has God a richer jewel to trust us with than his truth. Truth is a beam that shines upon us from God. Much of his glory lies in his truth. When we are advocate I'm sorry, when we are advocates for truth, we glorify God. Ye should earnestly contend for the faith, Jude three. The Greek word contend signifies great contending, as one would contend for his land, and not suffer it to be taken. From him, so we should contend I'm sorry and not suffer it to be taken from him, so we should contend for the truth. Were there more of this holy contention, God would have more glory. Some contend earnestly for trifles and ceremonies, but none for the truth. We should count him indiscreet who would contend more for a picture than for his eternal inheritance, for a box of items that can be stacked and counted rather than for something that actually gives a deed of ownership, the promise of heaven. All right. Well, like I said, we're getting back into our study of John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer, or um, as I would agree with, um, as has been stated by MacArthur and a number of others, the real Lord's Prayer. Um, like we've said, it is a communication between two portions of the Godhead. So <laughs> it is more the Lord's Prayer than what we typically call the Lord's Prayer, which is really more the disciples prayer because it is an example for us. But, oh, and I didn't update this. Hang on just a second. All right, there we go. So, where th this is this is the culmination of the study on the part of this. Again, we've t we've talked about before. This prayer again is broken into three parts. The very beginning of it, first five verses, is Jesus praying for himself, and we've talked about that. That it's not a selfish prayer; it's him praying for him to properly complete the work that God has laid on him and, and for the, <clears throat> for the parts of it, um, including his right to grant eternal life and the description of what that is and for the glory he deserves, but then for the glory that he gives for God, that he, that, that he, he lavishes on God. Um, but then we came to this second part. And like I said, we're going to wrap up this second part this evening. It's, praying for the disciples and that's verses six through verse 19 and tomorrow and Friday and into next week, we'll be looking at the last six verses or seven. I think it is, um, John 17, 20 through 26, I believe is Jesus praying for the church. So, like I said, we're wrapping this up. And as we saw, as we got into this praying for the disciples, we saw at the beginning, um, the part one of that was about praying as those whom the father had given him again. Um, and, and it was, we talked about it, that it's Jesus talking about, um, <clears throat> confirmation, I guess would be the right word confirmation as to 
why God would answer the prayer that Jesus is making. Now, you know, in, in big picture format, the fact is God answers what Jesus is praying, praying to him for because Jesus prays with the will of God, with the mind of God, because he is God incarnate. So he is praying within the will of God, unlike you and I. Uh, many a times you and I pray for things and we may try our best to pray in the will of God, but we're human. We still have the sin nature, so we are not always going to do that well. Jesus does not. Thus, he prays in the will of God. But at the same time, what he also laid out, and he's doing this, we, we have to remember, um, you know, most of the time when I pray, I'm praying in my head. I'm, I'm not, I, when I'm personally praying, I'm, I'm not typically, and honestly, in a lot of cases, I can be in any, any mode of standing, sitting, laying down, kneeling upside down, you know, you name it. But I'm usually praying in my head. I'm not, I'm not, um, speaking it out loud, but in this case, Jesus is speaking this out loud so that the disciples will hear him. So what we see here, Jesus, as his part of this prayer to the disciples is in verses seven through 10, he gives two clear reasons for the disciples to understand that God is going to answer these things that he's praying for. He's going to make two requests, but he's making clear here in verse seven and eight, and then verse nine and 10, why God will answer his prayers. And they are verses seven and eight, because they had believed in him as the son, because the disciples had. Because they were true believers, they truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Christ, that he was their Messiah. There was no question. Again, like I told you, the believe there, this is not the intellectual assent. This is, this is true belief that they've manifested. So because of that, God will answer these prayers. But the other part, verses 9 and 10, is because these disciples were given to Christ as part of his inheritance, as a gift from the father. So he knew, and which is going to lead to what we, what we've, what we, we've talked about, um, here in the first request, what we've talked about already last night for the first request. Um, so we came into this second part, um, where Jesus is praying as those whom he's about to leave. Again, he starts speaking of the fact that he's leaving, he's going to be leaving them making clear. Now, again, believe me, this is not the first time he's spoken of the fact that he's going to be leaving them, that he's going to be leaving these disciples now. And we talked about it, I think it was back in 14 and, uh, John 14. Yeah. When he talks about that, um, his father's house has many rooms and he's going there to prepare them a place again, making clear they're not orphaned. He's not orphaning them. One, the Holy spirit is coming. The advocate is coming, but two, he's making a place for them where he's going to be coming back to get them, to take them there. But that also applies to us, but he is going to be leaving. And we, we have to understand he's praying this all out loud. This is so they truly understand again, their world's been turned upside down and it's about to get worse. Hang on a minute. I need a drink here. All right. <clears throat> um, because again, this one they think is the Messiah. And, and I even heard it this morning on, on a, on a podcast I listened to reiterating this, that these disciples, while, while they believe he's the Messiah, they have the same cultural misperception of what the Messiah was to be. He was to be a savior. They, they got that. 
and a savior from God. They got that. Believe me, culturally, they had that right. But they saw him as being a temporal savior, somebody that came and provided them worldly peace, worldly salvation, not spiritual salvation, not eternal life. They don't get that. They didn't get that. They still don't. As I've talked about before, as we got into this, as, as we've gone through this, through this upper room discourse from John 13 to 16 and into this, I've talked to you before. And again, I like to listen to the guy. I, I actually like him very much, Ben, ben Shapiro. But even today, he makes very, very clear. I mean, he sounds like the Pharisees, and I'm not saying that to insult him, but he has that same mindset that, you know, because they believe, the Jews believe that the Messiah hasn't come yet. His statement about what the Messiah is coming to do makes very, very clear that they see him as a worldly deliverer, not a deliverer of souls. So like I said, so they, they've, they've got that misperception again. So needless to say that, that then makes them very, uh, very leery of the fact that how is this guy going to deliver us if he's going to die? But he is, he's going to die and then he's going to rise. And he's, believe me, this, like I said, this is the first time he's said this repeatedly and in very clear detail, no, no parables, no anything like that. He states it very, very clearly to them that he's going to die. He's going to be, he's going to rise from the dead and then he's going to ascend to the father. So needless to say, so that, that is the second section as those whom he is about to leave. So here's where he's going to make the requests. And so we talked about last night, the request for spiritual protection. And again, we talked about it, that, that we have to realize that Jesus was very much a buffer for them while he was there on the planet or while he was here on the planet. He was very much a buffer for them. The, the, the religious elite went after him, but left his disciples alone. Um, and at the same time, with Jesus being around them, there wasn't the corrupting influences piling in. Jesus was able to keep those at bay. Well, he's concerned about that. So, so he prays about that, making clear that, that, you know, they're not of the world, just as we are not if we are truly saved. We're sojourners here. We're passing through. This is not home. We are not citizens here. Um, except temporarily our true citizenship is in heaven and that's what he says here about the disciples just as jesus makes clear his his citizenship is not here and he's because of that the world hates the disciples and that's why he's asking for this protection and he's not asking for this protection so that they don't have to deal with this it's the protection so that they can stand firm in dealing with this and with the within this. And this is what we've got to understand. It's not a, Ooh, keep this away from them. It's grant them the protection that they will stand strong. Now, of course it sounds, it sounds like when we do that, and then we think about what happens with the disciples, Jesus gets arrested and they scatter, you know, like, like rats running from a drowning ship. And I don't say that to insult them. I'm, I'm using, I'm using that, that description for a description for a picture. Okay. But then we see them come back. And like I've said, their commitment to carry the gospel to the point where all but John, as far as tradition tells us, all but John died for sharing, for take, carrying the gospel. And he was exiled. 
you know, and that includes Paul, who's not one of the 11, but I guess I'd call him the 13th because they add one more back to themselves of those that had walked with them, uh, Matthias. But then Paul would be the 13th. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, obviously they stood strong. Obviously God provided that spiritual protection. But what was also necessary, and here's the second request and what we're talking about this evening, is that request for sanctifying purity, verses 17 through 19. So let me read them for you. Sanctify them. So there's Jesus making this request again. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. For their sake, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So let's see, one, two, three times we see sanctify or some version of that. Okay. So let me, let me, let me go ahead. Let's go ahead and define that. Okay. The Greek for that is hagiazo, um, for sanctify. Um, and I'm sure it's some form of that for sanctified, the past tense verb of it. And basically what we're looking at here is set apart is to set apart, to make holy, um, <clears throat> and this can mean active dedication and service to God or the act of regarding or honoring as holy to separate, consecrate. Here's other ones I want you to pick up. Cleanse, purify, regard, or reverence as holy. So Jesus is asking them to God to truly cleanse and purify them and set them apart by the truth. And that truth he's talking about is the word of God by that truth. And then he goes on Jesus to talk about in verse 19, for that's for their sake, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. So what is the big deal with sanctification? I mean, obviously it's important. Obviously we have our own walk of sanctification um, that, that we speak of a lot. Um, even though Peter, um, when he talks about it, he says, work out your work out your salvation in fear and trembling. He's actually talking about the walk of sanctification. And in our case, what it is, is more and more becoming more and more mature in the faith. And therefore our walk as in, um, Ephesians five, one, where we're called to be imitators of God, our walk becomes more and more resembling of the walk of Christ, of that, of that pure walk of Christ as he lived his life, that, that pure, holy, sanctified um walk of god we are to be imitators mimitus of god um and we become closer and closer to that obviously we'll never reach it till after glory till after we die and and we go and we're taken but that's what it's speaking of is that purifying that cleansing that setting apart and that's what he's asking for here now again Let's be clear. John 15, three, so upper room discourse. So maybe an hour or so before this, Jesus made clear to them. You are already clean because of the word, which I have spoken to you again, making clear that it is the word. And again, what do you think we're talking about with the word? We're talking about the word of God. We're talking about the scriptures. We're talking about the scriptures, the, the, the old Testament, the, the law and the prophets and what Jesus has been teaching here which is going to go on out into the epistles and all that, but it's going to be in the gospels. So that word, and that word is truth. And why, why is that word truth? Why is that so, so important? Because God is truth. 
Therefore, what he says is truth. Again, we've talked about that before, and I'm going to restate it again. And I know you're going to go, oh gosh, here it goes again. But God does not say true things. The scripture are not true things because God said them. Or, or, or I'm sorry, um, God did not say the scriptures and get the scriptures written because they were true. God said them that makes them true because he is truth. So in this case, your word is truth that Jesus is saying. He's making clear that because God said this, it is true. And in that word, that word should sanctify them. But think about it. This is clear. And I, I really love this picture. So going back to Jesus washing their feet and Peter, Peter says to him and, and Peter goes, wait, 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 no, you can't wash my feet. Well, if I don't, then you can't walk with me. And he goes, well, then bathe all. Basically, he says, he, he says something specific. It is basically bathe me holy. But Jesus said to him, this is John 13, 10. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet but is completely clean and you are clean, but not all of you. Of course, that's referring to, to Judas. But what he's talking about, the washing the feet, and that's what really has always kind of stuck out to me. What Jesus is doing, he's making clear to Peter that as he walked through this sinful fallen world, he will need to periodically, figuratively clean his feet, purify himself from the world. From the world. That's what the word does. So that's what Jesus is talking about is, is Lord, please sanctify them. Please provide them that sanctity. Because again, let so let's be clear. The unsanctified believer is not ready to go out and be evangels and be evangelistic and bring the gospel to the world. They're not ready for it because even if they're great and have this great oratory talent and whatever else. Their walk is not such a clean, purified, set-apart walk that they are providing the appropriate witness to bring the gospel into this world. They're not. They're not the right person to be. We're not the right to, person to be if we are not sanctified first. Again, I'm not talking perfect, but we must be sanctified by the word of truth, which is the scriptures. So Jesus makes clear in this verse that the word of God, the scriptures is truth and that it separates and purifies these 11. So we go on verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. Jesus was sent into the world by God to make disciples and he is now sending them into the world to make disciples. And again, part of this being, and he's stating this out loud. But making clear to them, again, trying to trying to um, hammer home the fact that our mission is not over yet. No matter what happens to me, you have a job to do and you need to carry it out. And God is going to need to sanctify you for this. His word is going to need to sanctify you for it. And so, like I said, only truly sanctified believers can go into this world, this evil world system and make disciples. They are going to be the only ones that are going to be able to withstand the temptations um, and the stresses and maintain some sense of being set apart and being clean to properly deliver the gospel. But we also have to think about this as he's saying this, as you sent me into this world, I also sent them into the world. This harkens to the great commission in Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, again, like I said, only truly sanctified believers can go into the world, this evil world system, and make disciples. They're the only ones capable of it. The rest, all they're going to do is bring dishonor to God, and they're, they're going to twist the gospel. And we see enough of that already. So verse 19, For their sake I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So we got to really think about this big picture. Jesus was born minus the sin nature of mankind as he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He walked a perfectly righteous, holy, sanctified life. He was set apart to do God's will and God's will only, and he was perfectly clean and pure to do so. He was passively sanctified and he actively sanctified himself. He was their example. If he came and sanctified himself to make disciples, they must be sanctified to properly make disciples. That's what he's talking about here. here. Um, is he's talking, talking clearly that he sanctified himself so that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. And again, he's talking about in truth. And so he's talking about the word of God. So they need to be sanctified in the truth so that they can go forward and make disciples and teach them to keep all that I, Jesus, commanded you. That's again, that's from the, the uh, Great Commission. Because the thing is, if they aren't truly sanctified, if they're not truly sanctified, if they're not truly making that walk of sanctification and trying more and more to be purified and cleansed by the word of God, then what example are they making? Who, who are they going to, what disciples are they going to make? How are they going to teach them to keep all that Jesus commanded? How are they going to teach them that when they're not living it out? We've already got that situation and Jesus calls them out. And I'm trying to remember, um, sorry, I'm trying to clean up something there. There we go. Um, we've already seen where Jesus makes clear, you know, um, to the people. Yes. The, 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 oh, how did he say it? Um, and I don't think he said Pharisees and Sadducees, but these religious leaders, they are in the seat of Moses. So you need to listen to what they're telling you to do, but don't, don't, don't watch what they do because they're, they're not, do he makes clear, they're not doing what they're telling you to do. They're being hypocrites. So, so that's what we're saying here. And that's what he's trying to say to them is they need to be sanctified so that they're not hypocrites. I'm sorry. Some of the worst, um, I grew up, my, my folks used to, on um, Sunday mornings as we were getting ready for church, they always had, you know, good old gospel hours and stuff like that. And I, I, it wasn't necessarily named that, but you know, those kind of programs. And there was one particular evangelist that they had on pretty regularly and they very much enjoyed. So here is a man preaching the word of God. And, and honestly, I was so young and I wasn't saved at the time. I don't know how accurately he truly preached the word of God. I don't know how solid he was. I don't know what kind of real discernment he had. But needless to say, 10 years down the road, man's been caught having an illicit affair. What kind of witness is that? How does that make true disciples? I mean, because even if, and, and, and let me, let me be clear. I I've seen, um, true disciples come out of the weirdest places. 
Okay. So I will agree with, that doesn't mean I want to support it. I, I don't believe in altar calls. I know there are some that have truly come to Christ from an altar call, but the way I see altar calls done, done in most of these churches, most churches, I don't think it's truly conducive for somebody truly coming to a saving faith because there's no discipleship afterward. It's, oh boy, an emotional response and it's left at that. So I, I don't, I don't truly agree with him at the same time. I know more than a few people that have come to a saving faith through that. So again, I, I don't believe in throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I just don't, I don't believe that's were I to have my own church. I would not do altar calls. I, I don't believe that is the way, um, to biblically bring people to a saving faith in Christ, or I'm sorry, to biblically present the gospel to them in hopes that in, in, in prayer that the Holy spirit would work in them and bring them to a saving faith. But think about that. So, so I see that the same way. So, so let's see, you, you, you get these people that even if they've truly come to a saving faith through the preaching of these disciples, the, these 11, but then these 11 aren't sanctified and that gets out and that witness gets out. All of a sudden, these disciples that they've made are all of a sudden questioning their salvation because they're questioning the teaching they got. Think about it. They, they, they were very, very clear. And even Jesus speaks about it, um, in here that they, that they truly believed. Uh, what is it? Um, and they've come let's see. Here we go. Now they have verse seven. Um, now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you for the words, which you gave me, I gave to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me again. It's at the point they know that what Jesus is teaching because of his sanctified life, because of the way he's walked, they know they can trust him. They know that what he says is true. So if they are not also sanctified, how can they make true disciples? And that's what I'm saying. This, this guy, this evangelist, and again, I'm not given a name. It's one you would recognize, but I'm not throwing a name out there. Um, all of a sudden, you know, his witness, every bit of his preaching, anybody who happened to, whether he was really a good evangelist or not, or really doing the will of God or not, maybe did actually truly come to a saving faith through him. All of a sudden they're questioning. That's not what he's, what, what Jesus is looking for here. That's not what God would be looking for here. That's why Jesus is praying here and making this request for this sanctifying purity of these disciples so that they can have the same or similar impact that Jesus has had through his true pure walk. Don't, don't think there was not every person in Israel that knew when this man was crucified, he was crucified falsely. Even the religious elite knew he was crucified falsely. They did it anyways, but he was crucified falsely. And they knew it because they knew he was a pure, set apart, cleansed, sanctified man. Which is why his message hit home. And which is why when the disciples after his resurrection and then ascension, why they were able to make such an impact because God answered this prayer and purified them and sanctified them. All right. 
Well, that's going to do it for tonight. I thank you for spending this evening with me. Um, I pray that this time in the word has helped to bring um, you and I both has really edified us and equipped us and helped us in our in our growth and understanding of the scripture. Um, and again, as I usually say, continues to shape our walk so that, again, we are more and more sanctified by the word of God. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out with the fourth day evening prayer. It's called God All Sufficient. Let's pray. King of glory, divine majesty, every perfection adorns thy nature and sustains thy throne. The heavens and earth are thine. The world is thine in its fullness. Thy power created the universe from nothing. Thy wisdom has managed all its multiple concerns, presiding over nations, families, individuals. Thy goodness is boundless. All creatures wait on thee, are supplied by thee, are satisfied in thee. How precious are the thoughts of thy mercy and grace. How excellent thy loving kindness that draws men to thee. Teach us to place our happiness in thee, the blessed God, never seeking life among the dead things of earth or asking for that which satisfies the deluded. But may we prize the light of thy smile, implore the joy of thy salvation, find our heaven in thee. Thou hast attended to our happiness more than we can do. Though we are fallen creatures, thou hast not neglected us. In love and pity thou hast provided us a Savior. Apply his redemption to our hearts by justifying our persons and sanctifying our natures. We confess our transgressions. Have mercy on us. We are weary. Give us rest. Ignorant, make us wise unto salvation. Helpless, let thy strength be made perfect in our weakness. Poor and needy, bless us with Christ's unsearchable riches. Perplexed and tempted, let us travel on, unchecked and undismayed. Knowing that thou hast said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Blessed be thy name. Amen. All right, again, thank you for spending this time with me this evening. I hope you have yourself, again, a wonderful night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good night. God bless.